0: Well, we are continuing in our series in John. We have been in John since January. And it has been, I think personally for me, a wonderful journey. And I hope it has been the same for you as well. We spent the last months in the first 12 chapters of John known as the book of signs and as I mentioned most weeks as we have been studying John's gospel John writes at the end of his gospel the purpose for his gospel verse 30 now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book but these are written so that you may believe That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. This gospel was written so that we would believe Jesus is the Son of God, that we would believe He is the Messiah, and that by believing we would have life in His name. And the first. 12 chapters of John are known as the book of signs and as we read and as we've read through time after time we've seen Jesus performing miraculous signs as a way of communicating the love and power and presence of God to a lost humanity. And now as we enter into chapter 13 we Begin in what is known as the book of passion or to some the book of glory. And it is the last chapters where they slow down and it is literally the last week of Jesus' life. And starting in chapter 13 through to the end of the book, it's literally the last night of Jesus' life and then the crucifixion. And as much as we would think verse 30 and 31 are written about the first 12 chapters because it's about signs, I want you to know that this, this verse, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Th- this chapter, starting in 13, and what we're about to read has been written... So that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. But there are no signs. There are no miracles taking place. Oh, but there is profound work going on. Profound work. So, turn with me to John 13. And... We'll be reading in a bit longer passage this morning. Starting in verse 1. Let me pray. Father. Speak to us this morning, please. Give us the ability to hear your voice. And... To respond to your voice this morning. Lord may the words that we read. And the words that we study. That have been written in this gospel. Be words that give us life this morning. Be words that encourage us this morning. Be words that refresh us this morning. Be words that convict us this morning. Lord may they be words that draw our attention to you and your glory, that you may receive glory. Father, help this very limited pastor speak in such a manner that your name is honored. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand But now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was about to betray him, and that was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table close to Jesus. What you you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money back, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. And it was night. The public ministry of Jesus is over and as the second part of John's gospel begins, he recounts this final evening where where he's gathered with Jesus and the other disciples. It is an evening that simply John has never forgotten. But there is much about this evening that does not quite make sense to the disciples as Jesus tells them what I am doing you do not understand and asks them do you understand they are they are a bit perplexed by this even as he has told them that he would dip the the bread and would give it to the one who would betray them to betray him they still did not quite get what was going on in Sunday school they were teaching how God created everything including human beings Little Johnny seemed especially intent when they told him how Eve was created out of one of Adam's ribs. Later in the week, his mother noticed him lying down as though he were ill and said, Johnny, what's the matter? Little Johnny responded, I have a pain in my side. I think I'm going to have a wife. (laughs) Sometimes we don't quite grasp all that The Scripture is teaching as these disciples didn't quite grasp it. As little Johnny was confused, so can we and so were these disciples. They did not fully understand all that was happening until Jesus had risen from the dead and Pentecost had come. Now, understand the evening. It is the Passover week. It is the night. It is Jesus' last night. In less than 24 hours... He will be crucified. The next five chapters, 13 through 17, are all about this night in this room as Jesus gives his farewell discourse. And and picture picture the room. It is a room, there's a, there's a table. And each of the men are reclining. They come in and they have kind of like these sofas where they would sit on and they would lean on their left arm and they would eat with their right arm. And they're, they're, they would all be leaning. So you can get understand why, why John's head, the disciple whom Jesus loved, would be leaning upon Jesus. And, and so they were, they were situated like that. And it is in this room that we begin to see a whole other side of Jesus that has been seen throughout the the previous 12 chapters, but now comes to a full expression. Other than his crucifixion, other than his death on our behalf, this night is the night of Jesus' greatest expression of love For his disciples. His greatest expression of love for you and I. It's his final ministry to his beloved friends. The men that have hung with him for almost three years. And it is his time to prepare these men for what is about to come in just a few hours. John's opening statement in verse 1 tells us everything we need to know about the next 24 hours. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come. Throughout the 12 previous chapters, Jesus keeps saying, or John keeps writing, his hour had not yet come. My hour had not yet come. And now... Just in a few short hours, his hour has come. He knows his death is imminent. He knows what awaits him. He knows the torment that awaits him. He knows the mocking that awaits him. He knows the beatings that Await him. He knows what it means that he is going to be nailed to a cross. He knows about being rejected by his father. He knows that he will die. And it is with that in his mind that John 13 takes place. Although, John knows what is going to happen to Jesus as because he's writing from history. And as Jesus knows what is happening, Jesus' focus is not being consumed about what's going to happen in a few hours. Oh no, Jesus is more consumed with caring for and loving his disciples. Jesus is consumed with leaving his disciples well. For three years, these men have come together. For three years, they have been prepared for ministry. For three years, they have been set apart so that they would be on a mission together. Three years that are culminating in this evening that Jesus demonstrates what it means to love. What it means to serve. What it means to walk humbly before God. Here is my proposition for you this morning. The title of the message is simply love to the end. Love to the end. My proposition is this. By his example to us. Jesus demonstrates his love for us. That he might love others. Through us. Let me say that again. By his example to us, Jesus demonstrates his love for us. That we might love others, that he might love others through us. Three points this morning. Jesus' love for us is revealed in his saving work. Jesus' love for us is revealed in his sovereign rule, and Jesus' love for us is revealed in his servant's heart. Yeah, it's alliteration this morning, but once in a while, that's okay. (laughs) I will, one at a time. Gosh, you guys write slow. In college, it's just, you've got to write faster in college, but I know some of you are a lot of years away from college and so it's not quite the same. Don't be offended. I'm old too. <laughs> All right. Number one, Jesus's love for us is revealed in his saving work. Jesus's love in this passage is on full display and it's on full display with three different groups or people on full display with his disciples as a whole, on full display with Peter, and it's literally on full display with Judas. Verses 1 through 11 open this up. Jesus, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus' washing of the disciples' feet stands at the head of the, a long section of the farewell discourse, the next 5 chapters, and it's a significant action that sets the tone for the rest of what Jesus will be sharing on this final night. In ancient near eastern culture, foot washing was a must. It was dusty, dirty, people weren't wearing closed shoes, they were wearing open sandals. And when someone came to your home, it was a basic requirement, a basic sign of hospitality to wash their feet. But the washing of feet in the Jewish culture was such a menial and filthy responsibility that Jewish slaves were actually not allowed to wash the feet Of visitors. Only Gentile slaves were the ones who would wash the feet of those who came to eat. So, here in this this environment, the disciples make their way into the upper room. They make their way into the upper room for supper. Now, obviously, John was a Southerner because in the South, you don't say dinner, you say supper. And so he must have been from North Carolina, as far as I know. As the disciples make their way into the upper room, what we notice is that there is no Gentile slave awaiting them. So they sit down and they actually begin to eat. And no one in the room even considers the possibility of washing one another's feet. Rather, rather than serve each other, we actually read in Luke's gospel in chapter 22, that when they sat down to eat, they began to argue who was the greatest among them. Most likely in order to position themselves where they would sit with Jesus. And so they're having this argument as they're eating supper. About who is the greatest among them. Can you imagine Jesus at this moment? After three years of teaching demonstrating humility, serving these men, there's a fight over who is greatest among them. And so in the midst of this, what I think is a very comical but sad scene, John records that Jesus, having loved them, now loves them to the end. And here's how he loves them to the end. Now that that statement, having loved them to the end, is not limited to what happens here. Because John is foreshadowing what is about to happen in just a few hours as Jesus makes his way to the cross. But here, it also applies. No matter how bad that these disciples look at this moment. And no matter how bad they will look in a few hours when they forsake Jesus, he loves them by doing what is abhorrent to them. They would never imagine washing one another's feet simply because you wouldn't do that. Only a menial Gentile slave would do that. And Jesus becomes a Gentile slave at this moment. To teach them one last time. About love. And humility. And service. It's a lesson they still don't quite understand. And Jesus presses through. J.C. Ryle said of this passage. The meaning of this seems to be, having always loved his own disciples and having given them many proofs of his singular affection, he now, before leaving them alone like orphans in the world, gave one more striking proof of his love by washing their feet. And thus, on the last evening before his death, showed that he loved them to the very end of his ministry and was not weary of them. He knew perfectly that they were going to forsake him and act like cowards. But that did not prevent him loving them with all their weaknesses to the very end. He knew perfectly that he was about to suffer within 24 hours. But the knowledge and foresight of it did not absorb his thoughts so as to make him forget his little flock of followers. That is what is so stunning. Jesus is aware of all that awaits him. All that awaits him. All the pain and the suffering and the rejection, the crucifixion. Having his own father turn his back on him. I have had enough surgeries to know what it is like the night before surgery. And they're filling me with drugs so I don't feel anything. They, they send me to places I just like to go. But the nervousness, the anxiety that I feel the night before surgery, I'm consumed. You can ask Marilyn. Do you want anything to eat? No, I don't want anything to eat. Do you want to do it? No, I don't want to do anything. Do you want to talk? No, I don't want to talk. I just... Just, I just want to sit here and contemplate my death. And, and yet Jesus does not become absorbed by what's about to happen. But he is absorbed with the love he has for his disciples to teach them and prepare them. The washing of the disciples' feet is more than a lesson in humility. It is the embodiment of biblical love to his disciples. Jesus washes their feet to help them understand the humiliation of the cross by his humble service. It's a foreshadow of the cross. He, he washes their feet to help them understand the cleansing power of His blood shed on the cross as He pours out water in a basin. He is washing their feet to help them understand that He is wiping away their sin. He is washing their feet to show them of the humble sacrifice. Jesus had disrobed Himself of His godly right and became a man. And now he takes a step further and disrobes himself of earthly garments to wash their feet. When knowing in just a few short hours he will once again be going back to God. And he will be sitting on his throne robed in heavenly splendor. He displays this amazing love to his disciples. And he also displays this saving love for Peter. Peter's false humility here in verse verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Now, I'm sure this is one of those moments where you are just so embarrassed. Embarrassed. Have you ever been kind of out-humbled? Somebody does something, it's just like so humble, and you're just kind of like, what do I, how do I respond? Peter was just out-humbled by Jesus. He just couldn't quite get it. He doesn't grasp the symbolism of the foot washing until Jesus plainly tells him, because Peter's saying, look, no, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus says, Look, look. If I don't wash your feet, and again, he's foreshadowing the cross, you have no part. It is my cleansing that means something, not your own. It is my cleansing that washes you. It is my shed blood poured out for you like this water poured out into a basin that cleanses you. course. Simon responds, well, okay, Lord, <laughs> not just my feet, but my head and my body, everything. And I can just see Peter starting to disrobe himself. And Jesus is like, whoa, wait, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> no, no, Peter, once you are cleansed by me, it's once and for all. Never again. Once you are cleansed by the saving blood of Christ, never again. Now, Jesus does help him to see, though the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. But it is, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Now, what is he? He's saying there. When he says, except for the feet, he is referring to as believers... The stain of the world that we experience and the challenge of sin that we face every day. It is why 1 John 1 9 exists. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John in 1 John is writing to believers. He's not writing to unbelievers. And he's talking about, yeah, you, once you are cleansed by Christ, it's once and for all. But there is a daily cleansing that we need because of the world in which we live and the sin in which we battle in our own lives, and our own heart. With, it's with patient love that Jesus helps Peter to see that he only needs to be cleansed once for all eternity. And that love, Oh, what a, what a gift of love. And in that love, he also extends forgiveness daily to Peter. Now, that forgiveness is not for salvation. It's for sanctification. Oh, what a display of God's love for Peter. Peter, I'm, I'm with you all the time. And my forgiveness is always available. And then thirdly, in this, the, dis, this, the saving love of Christ. There's the display of Jesus' saving love for Judas. Look at verse 11 He's speaking of Judas, for he knew who was to betray him. And that why he, that's why he said, not all are clean. In verse, in verse 2, during supper, when the devil had already put it into Judas's heart. So he knows where Judas is at. He knows where Judas is at. But understand this. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, who was included? Judas. Judas. Jesus humbled himself. In an act of love. For the very one who would soon. Betray him. Not only that. In verse 26. Jesus answered. It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread. When I have dipped it who will betray him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas. Now we could superficially just read that was the sign and that was sort of the catalyst to send Judas out the door so he could finally fulfill his betrayal of Jesus. But again, in ancient Near Eastern culture, when someone dipped a piece of bread and they gave it to a person, It was in that day and age a sign of honor and love. Jesus, in many ways, is making a last appeal. A last expression of love to Judas. Now he knows Judas' heart is no longer... With him, but with the devil. But still, this expression of love. Judas is someone who spent three years with Jesus. He was involved in ministry with Jesus. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He served the poor. But Judas' heart was never with Christ. He loved money more than his own soul. Passages like this exist to wisely and lovingly warn us to consider our own souls. But the love of Christ for his disciples And Peter and Judas, his saving love was fully on display. Secondly, Jesus' love for us is revealed in his sovereign rule. John reminds the reader, and he reminds us, that Jesus' hour has come. Verse 1, Jesus knew that his hour had come. But remember, throughout the, the first 12 chapters... His hour had not yet come because Jesus had been the one who said, My hour has not yet come. And has been the one who has not let that hour come. Because Jesus had sovereign control. Why? Because the Father gave it to him. Jesus, verse 3, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, Jesus was the one who set the time of his own crucifixion. This is Jesus' very last night alive. It is his last meal. And most importantly, it's his last moment with his disciples. And here in this room, in the waning hours of Jesus' life, he demonstrates his love for them, his sovereign love for them, by reminding them of who he is. Look at verse 16. Let's go to 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, his sovereign election. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Uh, a reference to Psalm 41, nine. I am telling you this now before it takes place. And then when it does take place, you may believe that I am. There is that I am statement that we see throughout John's gospel. I am the bread of life. I am the river of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Before Abraham was, I am. And here again he says that you may believe that I am he, that I am God, that I am in control, that this hour has come because I have determined this hour should come. I have chosen you out of love. I have. I am the one. Jesus, in his sovereign love, wants to prepare them for all that is about to happen. Skip Ryan, in his commentary, says this Jesus knows that his Father has given him all. Things That he has come from God and that he's going back to God. He knows the Father has given him authority over everything in heaven and earth. He knows that he is the eternal Son of God. He knows what Paul later describes in Ephesians 1, 20 and 22. That he will soon be sitting far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. He knows he is the creator of all things and is before all things and that in him all things Hold together. He knows all this as he stoops to wash the disciples' feet. He knows all this as he waits for Judas to leave and give him up. To the authorities. He knows all this as he is mocked and beaten and scourged and rejected and cruelly nailed to a cross. He knows all this, and in his desire and love to preserve his disciples, he warns them about all that is to happen. I am, verse 19, I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Don't lose sight that I am. Don't lose sight that I am God. That I am the sovereign one. That I have all authority. That in me all things hold together. Don't lose sight that what you think is happening to me is happening outside of my control. It is not. I, I am warning you, Jesus says, because I love you. I don't want you scattered. I don't want you discouraged and despairing. Jesus knew Judas' betrayal would shake them. He is one of them. He had been with them. He knew. Imagine their shock. How could one of our own do this to the Master? Why would he do this? Oh, brothers and sisters, how often are we shaken when we see someone in our church go astray or gossip or slander or appear to divide the church? And when that happens, how often some are shaken in their faith or dislodged from their own local church because an attack like this has come. And that is exactly what Satan wants to do. He wants to separate us. And we must stand firm. And we must remember. He is the sovereign one. I am. Peter writes. And you got to remember. When, when Peter and John are writing their epistles. This... this This event and these events are not too far distant in their memories. Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Jesus' love for them is revealed in His sovereign rule. And then thirdly, Jesus' love for us is revealed in His servant's heart. Leon Morris calls this foot-washing a parable in action, setting out the great principle of lowly service which finds its supreme embodiment in the cross. Just hours away from returning to his throne and his place of glory in heaven, Jesus removes his outer garments, he stoops down, he girds himself with a towel, he removes the filth and dirt from his friend's feet. Now, this act of humility... Is stunning and it is unnecessary. He didn't have to do this. It is a display. It is a display of saving grace and a model of Christian conduct. Think about this the revered and exalted Messiah assumes the role of a despised Gentile servant for the good of others. The love of Christ is displayed in his servant's heart. Verse 12, Jesus says, Do you understand what I have done to you? The love I have shown you is to be characterized by your love for one another. Now let me be clear. These verses are not about establishing a ritual of foot washing in Grace Church, but about establishing an attitude of Christ-like love and service in Grace Church. Let me tell you the best explanation of this passage that I have read. So if there is any encouragement in Christ In the likeness of men. And being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Paul in Philippians 2 defines John 13 for us. Peter speaks about clothing ourselves in humility. Where do you think Peter gets that thought from? Bruce Milne said this, In a world desperately searching for the secret of community, this passage speaks most powerfully. It is those who have been humbled at the cross and come to Christ as helpless sinners seeking his cleansing who are the raw material of the community of humble servants. Jesus. Jesus is not establishing foot washing here. This really, at this moment, is the establishment of the church. He is establishing fellowship and community and servanthood and humility and sacrifice and generosity. He is forming the church at this moment in the eyes of these disciples. And as you read Peter's epistles and John's epistles later on, you see these words come to bear. You see these ideas come to the forefront. No church community can survive without without each member embodying John 13 and Philippians 2. What can we learn about this story? Well, if you learn anything this morning and you walk away with anything this morning, walk away with this. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. He loves you in your weakness, He loves you. When, like the disciples, they proved not to be faithful in that day. He loves us when we struggle in sin. He loves us. And He cleanses us. And He forgives us. And He never, never forsakes us. Walk away. With a demonstration of Christ's love. That he stooped. He stooped to wash these disciples' feet. But he stooped even lower. To cleanse you from sin. He stooped even lower. And he, he took away his godliness. His, hum, his humanity or his, his robes of, of heavenliness. To become human. Yes, he was fully God, and yes, he was fully man, but he lived as a man because he was a man. and He wore the clothes of a man. And he did all that because he loves you. There is nothing that can separate you From the love of Christ. Look what he's done. To bring you to himself. Look what he's done to cleanse you. Look what he's done to forgive you. Look what he's done to free you. Look what he's done. And. John writes this later on. In his epistle. See how great a love. See how great a love. That the Father has for us. That we should be called. Children of God. And such we are. And such we are. Father I pray that you would remind every person in this room this morning of love displayed in your son, Jesus Christ. And that they would be aware of how faithful you are to love them. And Lord, I pray for those who are struggling, that you might... Open their eyes to see what Jesus has stooped so low to do for them. That they may be called children of God. And such they are. In Jesus' name, amen.